Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and it's a great day to be with you. Boy, do we have a great show for you today. We're going to have Ed Hearn, the former New York Met catcher and World Series champion from 1986 on our show today. Not only is he going to talk a little bit about his baseball career, but he's also going to talk about his journey that he has been through in his life, and it is just one heck of a remarkable story. It's a must-listen to. Happy to be coming to you live from Bentonville, Arkansas, home of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And right away to begin the show, we got some news from the University of Arkansas athletic director yesterday, uh, Hunter Juracek. Uh, told the University of Arkansas Board of Trustees that he is planning on football practice. That's right, football practice to start in July with the season on pace to open on the scheduled September 5th date. Once again, Hunter Juracek, the athletic director of the University of Arkansas, is announcing that he plans on football practice starting in July with the season on pace to begin on September 5th. Now, I know some of you are asking questions because the NCAA, uh, I believe it was the other day, previously assembled a COVID-19 advisory committee, advisory panel, whatever you want to call it. And basically it's made up of a bunch of medical health, experts, and they had nine core principles that was supposed to be or will be used by NCAA professionals that they must follow. So here are the nine principles that they're supposed to follow. One, they must not be directives at the national level that prelude re-socialization. Number two, the state and local authorities must have in place a plan for re-socialization. Number three, there should be a plan in place at the university or college level of re-socialization of students. Each college, each university obviously would have to do that separate. Number four, there must be a plan in place at the uh, university and college level for resocialization. This one is of student athletes within athletics. So the other one was without, this one is with. Number five, there must be adequate personnel protective equipment for athletics health care providers, and there must be sanitizers to manage infection control in all shared athletic space. Number six, there must be the ability to assess immunity to COVID-19 at a regional and local level. This could include immunity at the college campus, plus a more focused assessment of herd immunity for athletics teams. Number seven, there must be access to reliable, rapid diagnostic testing on any individual who is suspected of having COVID-19 symptoms. Number eight, there must be a place or in place a local surveillance system so newly identified cases can be identified promptly and isolated and that closed contacts must be managed appropriately. And then number nine, rounding it up, there must be clearly identified and transparent risk analysis in place, such as economics, education, restoration of society, and medical risk of sport participation, including COVID-19 infection and possible death. So those are the guidelines that the NCA and the, or the government, all these experts have put in place in regards to college athletics coming back together. But Hunter Juracek obviously feels, you know, 
very comfortable right now with and the state of Arkansas does. So, you know, some positive news. Now, once again, you know, it does not look like they will be playing in front of fans. And, you know, a, uh, one of my uh, listeners asked me yesterday, you know, has any official word been announced? Well, you know, sometimes common sense ain't so common. And college athletics, you know, and even the NFL professional sports in general, uh, they're talking about not starting with fans. But, you know, in this business, you learn until they make a complete announcement and make it official, you never assume anything. Yes, does it make sense to not play in front of fans with the risk are involved? Some people will say yes. And I don't disagree with that. But why put the players at risk? So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be argued and debated there. The question is, you're putting athletes and, you know, I understand they're going to be testing the athletes. You're not going to be testing every single fan that comes into the stadium. So, you know, that is common sense to me and I understand that. Uh, but there's, you know, until it's official and they announce no fans, I'm not going to tell you they're going to be playing in front of no fans, whether it makes sense or not. Now, if you were with us yesterday, and uh, most of you, whether you were with us or not with us, it broke during our show that the passing of legendary coach uh, Don Shula, who coached for uh, the Baltimore Colts, and the Miami Dolphins, obviously most known for the Miami Dolphins, the perfect season, uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, he passed away at the age of 90 uh, yesterday. And, you know, for someone like myself who knew Don personally, uh, you know, obviously goes without saying the sad news. And, you know, I got to know Tom for four years when I was down in Miami from 84 to 88, I went to college at uh, St. Thomas University, which used to be Biscayne College, and actually quite a few of my listeners, I'm sure, uh, went there as well, and, you know, you got to see Don basically every day. Uh, you know, understand that this was the college where the Miami Dolphins practiced back in the 80s. This was their preseason camp. They come to St. Thomas. You know, you had the pool area. On one side, you had the weight room for the Miami Dolphins, and the other side was the practice field for the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, not only did I get to obviously talk to uh, Don many times, or Coach Shula, I should say, but, um, you know, Coach was just an amazing person, anyone that knew him. And, you know, I had the opportunity that not necessarily everybody else had at the college to work with, you know, be employed by the Dolphins and work for Don uh, for a little time there back in 88 and always treated me with nothing but the greatest respect. I mean, he had respect for everyone. It didn't matter who you were. You were just a student walking by. He would always say hello, always acknowledge you, and, you know, just, just an inspiring coach. And obviously everybody knew who Don Shula was. But, um, you know, and then they had the opportunity to work with him, be on the field with him for that short period of time was just one of the highlights of my career, at least definitely through my college years. And, you know, he's going to be missing. The Miami Dolphins actually had a statement on Coach Don Shula yesterday stating, Don Shula was the patriarch of the Miami Dolphins for 50 years. He brought the winning edge to our franchise and put the Dolphins and the city of Miami in the national sports scene. Our deepest thoughts and prayers go out to Marianne along with his children, Dave, Donna, Sharon, Anne, and Mike. And, you know, he's many people yesterday, you know, Dan Marino came out uh, with a statement, which we'll go over in a minute. And so did Bill Belichick. And, you know, I also got to know Dan when I was with the Miami Dolphins as well. And I got to see uh, Dan Marino, you know, 
Don Shula took a young, and I'm not going to, I don't want to use punk, maybe it's not the right word, but Dan still had a lot of maturity when he first got to the Miami Dolphins, and it's amazing the type of person Dan's come. What a complete, you know, complete turnaround. You know, he matured, became a great quarterback, and a lot of that was due to Don Shula's supervision, and he gives Don a lot of credit. Here's Dan's... um statement to coach about coach Shula you will truly be missed you embody the definition of greatness you brought the winning attitude with you every day and made everyone around you better thank you for always believing in me you made me a better player and a better person my thoughts and prayers are with the entire Shula family love you coach rest in peace that was um That was Dan Marino, his statement about Coach Shula, who passed away at age 90 yesterday. Here here we're about to hear video from probably the current greatest coach of today in Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots. He becomes the all-time winningest coach in the history of the National Football League. 347 wins. Let's start with that. Right. <laughs> it's a lot. You know, I remember Coach Shula. I would I would watch uh, Coach Shula's TV show every week uh, with the Baltimore Colts uh, growing up in Annapolis. And uh, Corralin' the Colts was the was the show. And I always look forward to Coach Shula's breakdowns and, and uh, his interviews with uh, the star players there. We started out, we had some great licks hit. This is what we want to see. Great by the defense, great by the offense. I think Coach Shula really kind of set the standard for, for all of us. That was Bill Belichick. Actually, I think it was during the greatest decade teams or something that he was talking about Don Shula and Don Shula's greatness. We're going to go to a quick break here. We're going to hear our tip of the day from our buddy Dickie V, and then we'll be back. And it's so true. Think about it. Even though... Yes, my motivational tip of the day, I read this quote and I really like it. Life is meaningless without purpose. And it's so true. Think about it. Even no purpose at all when you wake up and whatever you're trying to do in life, it's got to become meaningless. You have to have purpose. you got to wake up with some goals and some desires that you want to achieve and attain. And it starts again by you having that mental attitude, that mental attitude that I can do it, not that quitter's attitude. What do we often say? A quitter never wins and a winner never quits. Don't quit in anything in life, whether it be sports, whether it be education, law, medicine. You chase that goal you have and you chase it with some meaningful plans and goals that you have and make them happen by your effort and your energy. Yes, you can make it happen. You will make it happen. But it starts with purpose. It starts with a plan and it starts with a goal that you can make a reality. Man, oh man, do I love Dickie V. Every day we have his motivational tip of the day, and every day that man keeps inspiring me to go on and on and on. Just a great human being. Dick Vitale. Love him to death. Uh, want to welcome you all back to Frankly Speaking Sports. Want to remind you all that if you have any questions, concerns, topics, thoughts you want to talk about, you can leave a message right here on this link and we will answer your question and also play your message that you left us on our next episode also want to remind you you can follow us on twitter at larry frankis that's with a u.s at the end we also have one of the fastest growing and most popular facebook sports group out there make sure if you're not a member yet to join. If you are a member, make sure to invite all your friends. It's called Frankly Speaking Sports. Make sure you type in the word sports. Otherwise, you will come up with a bunch of different Frankly Speaking things that I don't even know about. So that is another way you can leave a message there. We update that as soon as we get breaking news. So we like to be the fastest and most accurate sports news out there. We don't. We just don't report everything we hear. We make sure it's true before we post it. 
Want to remind you all, in a few moments, we're going to have former New York Met catcher and World Series champion Ed Hearn on to speak with us live. Can't wait for that. But before we get to that, um, those of you NFL fans want to let you know that the schedule, NFL Network, will be releasing the schedule this Thursday. That's right, this upcoming Thursday, the 7th, at 8 p.m. They're doing some three-hour show uh, where they reveal all the different schedules. Now, we already know the opponents of every team. What this show is going to do is reveal the dates and times of each game and when they play home, when they play away, the actual dates you'll find out. Um, if you haven't heard, all international games will not go on. So they will actually be now played at the home team. You know, whoever was going to be the home team there will now be the home team um, this year. I think the Jaguars had a couple of games scheduled this year. So those those will become home games in Jacksonville. Now, we got yesterday from CBS Sports an actual strength of schedule and the over-unders on the wins and losses that each team is expected. Once again, these are just projections, um, but, you know, the strength of schedule is accurate as far as what went on. Now, the thing you have to remember when a schedule is put out the team that had the worst record last year does not get the easiest schedule. You know, a lot of people think because the draft is designed that way, they already know for the most part who their opponents are. Like, I can look next year and find out if I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I can go and look who we're playing in 2021. It won't have the times, obviously. It won't have the dates. It'll have 14 of the 16 games. You obviously pay, you play your conference, and then you play another conference. You play your conference twice, then you play another conference once, and then, you know, the other games, it's how you, wherever you finish versus um, a team in the other league where they finish and they group it together. So everything besides two teams already figured out. That's why the schedule, you know, some people go, well, you know, the Bengals are the worst team in football. Why they get in this tough of a schedule? It's already decided before this, you know, long before the season. Now, if you want to know who has the easiest schedule in the NFL for 2020, it's the Indianapolis Colts. And the toughest schedule, which means the 32nd, okay, is the Atlanta Falcons. So the Falcons have the toughest schedule in the NFL. Now, as we go down this, uh, we'll look at some teams and the over-unders by Vegas. You know, if, you know, what, how many games are you going to win over or under people that bet if you think it's over for example Indianapolis over under is 8.5 so you know if they win nine games and you picked over you win if you pick under and picked eight games you win um so the Indianapolis Colts with with the easiest schedule is 8.5 wins now I'm not going to go through every team here but if you go to the frankly speaking sports Facebook group, this is all on there. I put it on there. It's an article by CBS. I am going to highlight a couple of the teams um, where our listeners tend to follow. For example, Tennessee, over under is eight and a half. They have the second easiest schedule in the NFL next year. Chicago, who we have a, you know, a lot of fans watching them. They're they're picked eight and a half as well over under, and they're tied for the third easiest schedule. And as we go down, we'll go down to the local team, Kansas City, who won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl champions, have the eighth easiest schedule in the NFL. And they are over under, listen to this, folks, 11 and a half games. 
So obviously Vegas is saying this team, and why wouldn't they? They got 20 of 22 starters back. Uh, you know, they just got uh, Clyde Edward uh, Hilaire in the draft. Mahomes is back. I mean, this team should win it all again. Um, when you look at Dallas, for example, uh, Pittsburgh is tied for the eighth easiest schedule. Then you got the Cowboys. Their over-under is nine and a half with the tenth easiest schedule. And Tampa Bay is the 11th easiest schedule. They're picking Tampa Bay nine and a half games. Tampa Bay won seven games last year. So for you Tampa Bay fans, for you Green Bay fans, 16th uh, easiest schedule. Nine games is your over-under. Um, and, and so on and so on. Also, we'll hit the New York Jets here. New York Jets had the third toughest, okay? The 30th easiest schedule, if you want to word it that way. But I want to word it, the third toughest schedule in the NFL is by the New York Jets. Jets over under is six and a half. So Atlanta is the toughest schedule. The second toughest schedule is the New York Giants. So that's a breakdown in a nutshell of the strength of schedule. And once again, if you want to see that entirety, all 32 teams that rank the schedule from easiest to toughest, you can go to the Frankly Speaking Sports Group page and it'll be on there for your liking. As I just said a couple seconds ago, we are going to have Ed Hearn, uh, the former New York Mancatcher and World Series champion on in a bit. I also want to remind you that this Thursday, NASCAR reporter for Fox TV, Bob Pachris, is going to be on. NASCAR is under two weeks away. It's a week from this Sunday at Darlington. So Bob will be on to discuss NASCAR, some of the changes they're going to be going through with the coronavirus, racing without fans, and anything else. Uh, that we have to ask him. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns that you would like us to ask Bob when we speak to him on Thursday, you got a couple of options. You can go to our text message line, 813-922-9810. You can go to franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. Those are the best two ways besides this message link that we have on right after the show. It'll take you to a message. And we'll make sure we ask Bob Parkris those questions in regards to NASCAR when we speak to him this Thursday. Also, we've been getting a lot of people who've been complimenting a lot of the interviews that we are doing currently on Frankly Speaking Sports. And believe me, not only do we have a great guest in Ed Hearn today and another great one in Bob Parkris on uh, Thursday, but we've had some already like Rich Herrera, um, you know, Peter Vincent, uh, Greg Orman, Craig Frank. We've had a bunch of great interviews. So what we're doing now is not only do you get to listen in on our podcast, but those interviews are actually also being placed on our Frankly Speaking Sports page for your liking as well. We understand that not everybody gets to listen to this podcast on a daily basis. So we try to make sure we put the interviews as well. And believe me, we're going to have a great one today as well. We're going to go ahead and we're going to go to a quick break here. Um, and when we come back, we're going to have Ed Hearn, our special guest, online with us to talk about his remarkable journey in life. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and it's such an honor and a pleasure to have on our Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline, former New York Met catcher, World Series champion, and professional public speaker, Ed Hearn. Ed, how are you doing this morning? 
Okay, Ed, before we get into your career after uh, baseball, I want to first talk a little bit about your career in Major League Baseball. Um, I know you were in in the minor leagues for quite a few years, I think at least eight years, and then in 1986, you become a member of the New York Mets, and Gary Carter, the great Gary Carter, injures his thumb, and now you're playing... You're starting catcher for the New York Mets. Tell us about that moment and, you know, after all those years of being in the minor league, what did it feel like to finally make it and play in the big leagues? Well, that was um, in August uh, of 86, and we had a pretty good lead by then. But, you know, uh, I, I woke up to the headlines of one of the major newspapers in New York saying, Carter goes down, worst thing that can happen to the Mets. And, uh, you know, like, yeah, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, but, but my attitude was, this is my team now. And, you know, uh, I, I, you know, he had wanted to know what I was thinking as you're asking now. And um, I told them that, look, I can't fill Gary Carter's shoes. I can't be Gary Carter. I can only be at her. And I know that if I be... If I am uh, uh, reasonable uh, and heard, we're going to be just fine. And it turned out we ended up going like 11-3 or something during that two-week stretch. And, and, uh, and during, during the end of that two-week stretch, uh, uh, my teammates were busting Gary Carter's chops about, hey, man, yeah, I think you need to rest that tongue a little longer, man. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that group, I mean, believe me, that was a wild group of guys that you played with. I mean, everybody knows about, you know, the Gooden, the Strawberry, the Dykstra, the Backman, the Hernandez. I mean, to come up, what was it like trying to fit in with those guys? Well, you know, again, um, I, I don't think, I think that's a mistake when you try to be somebody you're not in, in anything in life. And I think you, you be who you are, and you stay, you stick with what got you there. And uh, so, you know, uh, at times it wasn't the most comfortable situation uh, because I, I did feel a little, not left out, but I wasn't as much a part sometimes. That's just the way I felt uh, because I, I just wasn't, didn't participate in some of the activities that uh, were being partaken by that 8016. And, um, you know, uh, I often tell people, you know, uh, long-term success requires requires a strong character foundation. And, you know, when I got traded to the Royals, it was kind of a, it was kind of a double-edged sword to me in that I, had, I was now a full-time starting catcher. Uh, the Royals wanted me to come to Kansas City to handle the young pitching staff that they had in 1985 and won the World Series two years earlier than us, a fabulous staff, young staff. And the other side of it, when leaving New York, I thought, man, I could be missing out on a couple of rings in the next three or four years. So they were, they were, you know, the Mets were that loaded. But as it turned out, my point is that, um, you know, I think you, anybody can have success. But to have long-term, consistent success, it takes a quality uh, approach. Uh, you just can't continue to to be that kind of that kind of group and win long-term. Maybe except for the the, the 27 Yankees uh, crazy guys, but um, you know it's hard. I mean, it's hard to, to you know to turn the switch on and off when you won. You know, I used to tell kids. You, you got to work hard in the classroom. You got to work hard on the field. You got to work home hard when you go home. You can't turn that switch on and off. You're lazy at home. You're lazy at school. You're going to be lazy on the field. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies to the Mets. You know, you, you, get, you do crazy things off the field, and it's going to trickle onto the field eventually. Now, after '86, you obviously move on to Kansas City, like you said, and then you, you know, a, a previous injury comes back to haunt you with your shoulder, when you found out 
or had to make that decision, whether it was you, a doctor, whoever, that your career was over in baseball. What what was your initial reaction? Well, I, I would be lying if I said that I wasn't disappointed. Um, the doctors actually said that I would be coming back. The biggest challenge in that transition for me was that Dr. Frank Job in L.A., it was the first time that he had performed this new procedure that he was using on uh, total reconstructive rotator cuff repairs, and I was the first catcher that he had done, and uh, he thought that I would be back, you know, within, uh, it was about a year, and I wasn't close to being ready. So it dragged into like a two-year period, and then two and a half Two to two and a half years. And, you know, by then, uh, a guy, the guy I'd been trained for, basically me and then David Cohn, had gone on and done some good things. And I think eventually, uh, then we ran into a strike season. There in, um, uh, this is when all this was happening. And so we were delayed going to spring training. And, and the Royals basically said, man, did you really come back well? And he said, but, but they said, we, we had to make decisions before we came to camp. And so they gave my release, and I eventually called them Indians and almost got back to the big leagues. I don't think I ever could have really been a everyday catcher in the big leagues after the, the injury that I had. But, you know, because I could hit, and I was smart, and I could handle pitching staff, it could have been, I could have been, a, you know, a player for eight to ten years after that, uh, you know, on a backup part-time basis and, you know, pitching and DHing. Right. Now, your baseball career ends at, I'm talking to Ed Hearn, um, former New York Met catcher, World Series champ, and professional public speaker. Um, your career ends in baseball, and before you know it, where you think getting to the major leagues is your biggest battle up to that point, maybe, you know, in your life, now you find out you're fighting the toughest battle of your life when you're fighting now for your life, basically, with yeah, the kidney transplant, what for those of our listeners that don't know, uh, why don't you tell them the story about after baseball, about how you basically almost lost your life? You know, well, the career ended, and, and I was in Kansas City, and, you know, I was looking at, you know, I had been asked by three different organizations to stay in the game and, you know, go back to the minor leagues and manage and come back up. Through, and I think I was in real good at that, but I always felt that I had uh, other things to do in life. I had some brains, and uh, so I wanted to explore those opportunities. But before I really could get going, uh, I was diagnosed with pretty, very serious health issues, including the need for uh, dialysis and my first transplant within a year and a half after being out of the game. And uh, the side effects of the medications you have to take to keep from the, the transplant rejecting had lots of side effects. And, you know, it was, uh, I had been from the penthouse to the outhouse in my mind, you know, I, you know, I had lost a lot, kind of, you know, uh, losing a career is one thing, but then when you lose your health, that's a really big deal. And so uh, you throw on top of that these medications, side effects, and man, I spiraled down into a deep depression. And a year and a half after that first transplant, uh, you know, I, I was, I considered uh, quitting on the game of life. But, um uh, you know, I wasn't raised to be a quitter, and, um, you know, I have a nurse. I met a Long Island girl who became my wife, is now my wife of 32 years, and she has nursed me along to the point where, you know, I was able to find uh, what I believe has been uh, my, my true purpose in life. Uh, yes, baseball was a part of that, and I believe being on a World Series team and getting that experience and giving me a little name credibility. Uh, but my true purpose, I have found, Larry, has been the perspective that I gained through what I call the outhouse. You know, the penthouse to the outhouse and now back. And, and it's still a fight. I mean, I still bounce into that outhouse once, or time, once in a while, unfortunately. But the, the opportunity to, through this perspective, I'm going through the outhouse. Yo, you know what's in the outhouse is crap. And, right. And but but crap, uh, everything grows in crap. And so if if, if you don't allow the weeds to overtake you, you're going you're going to grow as a person when you face life's challenges. And that's what happened to me is um, because I had a good foundation, I had a very strong faith, and I had a wonderfully supportive life. 
Uh, the weeds didn't overtake me when I was in the outhouse. But I grew as a person and, and became uh, it became somebody that I, I, I always wanted to be a good person and have a, be a positive influence as an athlete. But never did I realize that the opportunity, to, what the real plan was for Ern, and that was to use the combination of being an athlete and losing it all and coming back and be able to share with people about facing change and challenges and the perspective that it takes to do this. And I would say since, you know, in the early part of my speaking career in the early 90s and mid-90s, it was about all my speeches were about climbing the, climbing the mountain to success, uh, paying the price, perseverance, rah, 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 all that stuff, teamwork, leadership. But man, after we hit 9-11, uh, everybody I spoke for, it seemed, you know, from associations to corporate events, everybody, the, the topics that they wanted out of me were how do you handle life's curves? Because, you know, America, and like today, with this virus that we're facing, you know, it's tough. Change is hard. And it's one that, you know, it's, it's, you know, like they say in New York, Sinatra said it so well, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I say, when you're facing life's curves, if you can pick yourself up after swinging and missing, maybe getting knocked down by a buzz fastball up under the chin, if you can get back in that batter box and keep swinging and keep swinging, you're basically going to get it. And that's really what has happened to me that, that I kept, I got knocked down, kept getting knocked down with my help. But, uh, you know, it just, it just came along uh, like it was meant to be, that it was meant my life was meant to be more than about baseball. Right, and Ed's yeah. talking about his book, Conquering Life's Curves, uh, which he has a book that's written. And Ed, you talked about keep swinging, which was one of the phrases you were just explaining. Um, the other great phrase that I got, and there's a lot of them, but from that book is you talk about not just keep swinging, but about look outside the self, if I said that correctly. Um yeah. Um, and I thought it was real interesting. Why don't you explain to the listeners about looking outside, you know, in brief, I know you don't have all day to do that, but I those are two of the things, you know, that really hit me was the keep swinging phrase and the look outside the self. Yeah, well, that, that came about, actually it began in my mind. Uh, three nights after my first transplant, I'd have a pity party. We all have pity parties, and I ain't lying, I still have them once in a while. But this midnight shift nurse came in, and she just, she looked at me and said, what's the matter with you, boy? And she just, she said, you feel sorry for yourself, boy. You just got the gift of life. You know, patients like you make me mad, boy. You got you to you understand. You got something real here. And, and she began to 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 fill my mind and to, to help me realize, no, I, this, wasn't, this wasn't a bad thing. She said, you need to get your butt out of bed and walk down the hall. And, and she pointed out a room around the course, and said, there's a young man there, a big baseball fan, and he ain't going to see next season. But you can go in back that boy's life. You go down there and talk to him. He would love, love to meet you. And his dad, and they're going through some tough times. But you need to stop feeling about sorry for yourself and you need to other people. You know, in corporate America, in, 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 we've heard that term, think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And as a speaker, I heard other people talking about this box thing. And I, and I finally come to thinking about it. You know, think outside a box. You know, a box is something that's useful. We got to think outside ourselves. We got to think about others and make a difference in other people's lives. And that takes you out of those pity parties. You stop feeling bad for yourself. It's just like speaking. Uh, being a speaker, you know, growing up, uh, you know, if you was in a communications class, whatever, speaking is like the second fear, most feared thing in life. After death, and it's because why? Because people get in front of the audience and they, they get all clammed up because they think about themselves. If you think about your audience when you're speaking and what you got to give them, whether it's, whether it's humor, whether it's educational, whether it's inspirational, and you start thinking about I, I mean me, and you will be great, you will be fine. But some almost almost everybody, I I mean me, and you. I don't have to tell you, but our culture is so I, I, me, me. So I just, I just help people understand that once you can think outside of yourself, 
and, and you can go out there and do something for somebody else, whether it's from a speaking platform, whether it's listening to someone who's facing challenges, whether it's delivering meals to people that are hungry. Do that. Think it outside yourself. It's always to come back. And, you know, I tell people, you know, I take 30, 35 pills a day, and I've been doing this since 1992. And the best pill I can take is when I can go out there and, and do something for somebody else. That's my best mess. And that's what I encourage people to do. And that makes the best teamwork. That makes the best uh, leadership qualities. What a leader is a servant leader, not thinking about themselves and how far up the, the chain they're going to go and how much money they can make. When you put yourself secondary as a leader, as a servant, to, and making all the people under you better, that's when you can become a great leader. So this is, this is a, uh, one of the keys to life, Larry, is thinking outside yourself. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, Ed, let me ask you this, because you were talking about the public speaking and how you affect other people, and you were just leading into actually my next question. For those of you listening, we're talking to Ed Hearn, former New York Met catcher and World Series champion and professional public speaker. You know what you've been through, obviously, in life. That goes without saying. But when, obviously, you can talk to people all day long, and you and I both know some people, it's going to go in one ear and out the other ear. And other people, it's going to affect in a positive way. Um, when I mean, what does it feel like when you know that you've spoke to an audience and there's an individual, and I'm sure you hear this, especially later on after you speak, that, you know, this individual... They were thinking about ending it all. They couldn't go on in life. And then you found out that you spoke to them and you inspired them to go on in life. <laughs> it don't get any better than that. And, and because I've done it for so long now, uh, I, I know that that's just the truth, that there will be at least one person, I many often multiple people, but let's just say it's just one person. That's worth it to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have I have a little mantra I I, I found about no oh, ten to fifteen years ago. It, it, it was a saying that I've never been able to attribute to anybody. There's just an unknown person I don't know, but uh, I always try to give credit to somebody who's you know when I'm quoting someone. But it, this saying has become my mantra, and it helps. It just I mean it's so ingrained in my mind I don't even think about it. I know that if we think outside ourselves, we are going to impact people in a positive way. But here's what the saying says. It goes, anyone can count the seeds in one apple, right? Mm -hmm. but, but no one can count the apples in just one seed. We just can't do it. We never know how much of an impact. Making, you know, doing something for other people is going to have. Uh, it just can be, it can be a tremendous thing that impacts so many people. So our job, our job, in my opinion, whether you're a speaker, whether you, everybody's got a story, everybody's got experiences that other people don't have and they can learn. We can learn from each other. That's why, you know, in warfare, divide and conquer. That's one of the greatest strategies there are. And we have to do the opposite as human beings, as a country, as families, to stay together and help one another and share these seeds and plant seeds that will grow if they're watered. See, sometimes the seeds are already planted when I come along. And I may just be watering and fertilizing them seeds, maybe pulling a few weeds with somebody or with an audience where their their corporate culture has gone bad. And so that's that's how that's the way I approach things because I, I've been around enough now, uh, it's like playing in baseball. You just come to know uh, that you know, you know, you know exactly what's gonna happen, but you know that if you do it right and if you do it not thinking about how much money I'm gonna make playing this game, you do it for the teams. And in life, if you do it for the team, it's, it's, it's going to come out and you're going to impact people. 
And, that, and he and he had Larry. You know, there's a, that one little saying about on the tombstone, there's a date, and then there's a dash, and then there's another date. And that saying, I don't quote quotes, but that it talks about life is all about the dash. Right now. Before I ask you the last question and let you go, why don't you let our listeners know where or how they can get your book? Uh, you can get the book uh, if you would go to bottomofthenight.org. You'll find the address there, or you can find uh, my my speaking website is there right now. But if you Google Ed Hearn, uh, you can find articles, and, and you'll run across an email. Folks can email me. Uh, the book is not out in bookstores anymore. Uh, I, I have been able to obtain all the rights back now since you know, the book's been published quite a long time ago, but it's an evergreen book that, that is written, uh, it was written for my son originally when he was, you know, a year or two old because I didn't know I was going to be alive when he was a teenager. So, you know, it's, it's a book about baseball and about life and the things that I want my son to know when, when he got to the age where he could understand things and you know, you can go online, bottomofthenight.org, uh, uh, edhearn.com forward slash edhearn. Uh, let's just go to my YouTube channel, and it'll all lead you back to uh, ed at edhearn.com is my email. So send me an email, and we'll get the folks here through the nonprofit at the bottom of the night, and uh, they will make sure that we can get out a copy and signed book to, uh, however many people you want, we'll personalize it and we'll turn it around and get it out to you. Great, great. Thank you for letting them know that. Now, before I let you go, Ed, you know, obviously you've been through a lot. And so you've seen life from all different avenues, all different sides of it. We're going through a really rough time. A lot of people obviously are going through a rough time with the coronavirus, COVID-19. And, you know, some of them you know, don't understand that, you know, even though it's bad, it's not that bad considering what could be. What would be your message as, you know, we're concluding as far as life goes to these individuals going forward? Well, in in our society, in the world, we're facing something we've never I think it's important to remember that we need to do this together. I, I mean, we need to all do the same thing. We need to do this social distancing, thinking about others. You know, social distancing isn't thinking about yourself. It's thinking about other people, high-risk people. But, you know, in life, we're, we're all going to face things all the time coming up that, that are going to be different than what we're accustomed to. And one of the most powerful and most important attributes that we can have as individuals is the ability to make adjustments in life. Life is a constant moving target with ups and downs. And if you have the ability to adjust, then then you can survive. If you do it together as a team, you know, we rely on one another. Don't allow something like this to divide and beat us. We have to be a team together, thinking outside of ourselves and realizing that only in that way are we going to be able to to beat the ups and downs of life together as a team, thinking outside the self. And always pull yourself out of bootstraps and, you know, we're going to swing and miss. People are going to miss projections on this coronavirus. And stop arguing about stuff that we can't control. Keep getting up and swinging and doing what we can do to help the team, help our families, help our communities, help our country, and help the world overcome this virus. Ed, I want to thank you so, so much uh, for allowing me the time to speak to you today on our show.
keep swinging, buddy. All right. Thank you, sir. Best of luck to you. Thanks, sir. Take care, buddy. You do. That was uh, former New York Met catcher and World Series champion and public speaker Ed Hearn. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. My goodness, what a great, great man and what a great, great inspiration to so many people. When you, when you talk about somebody like Ed Hearn, I mean, it, it's just amazing. I mean, amazing. I mean, that's a capital A right there on amazing because he's just one amazing individual and we thank him so much for coming on our show today and sharing his journey through life. Just just incredible story. Um, Want to remind you all that this Thursday, we're going to have another great guest, Bob Pockris, reporter from NASCAR. That's right, NASCAR. It's less than two weeks away, the startup of NASCAR at Darlington, or the restart-up or the reopening, the first major sport to go ahead and open. So really looking forward to that conversation with Bob Parkhurst, the reporter for NASCAR for Fox Network. Um, Run to remind you all that once again, if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts you want to talk about, maybe some guests you would like us to get on that can inspire you just like Ed Hearn did, let me know. I would love to try to get them on, and we'll do everything we can. And we try to get as many guests on our show as possible. You can reach us at franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. You can also go to our Twitter account, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. You can go to the fastest-growing Facebook group page that is out there. Frankly speaking, sports. Once again, I emphasize the word sports because if you don't type in the word frankly speaking, sports, it'll bring up a bunch of frankly speaking. If you bring up frankly speaking, sports, you will see our group page. Ask to join. We will approve you. We put all the latest updates and sports news. Soon as we get it, we turn it over to you. We have such reliable sources that we know we can count on them for the most accurate, updated news. So, that's another way to join us. Also, at the end, there is a link to our uh, message center. Go ahead, leave a message, and we will answer your question and also put it on the next show. Um, I want to thank, obviously, Ed Hearn for joining us today and all of my listeners who have joined in today. You got to witness a very, very special show. You know, take the information you heard, Ed, about inspiring you to keep going on, never quitting. You know, if you just do, even if it's just the two things he mentioned about keep swinging and uh, look outside the self, if you can just master those two things in life, you're going to be just as amazing as he was. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll speak to you tomorrow again on Frankly Speaking Sports. 